Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to episode number 134, we think, of This Week in Marvel, the official Marvel podcast of all news, new releases, comics, and fun times. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Benjamin Morse, editor of Marvel.com, joined by nobody. We are in that horrible chasm in between interns where we don't know anything. That's why we don't even know what episode this is. Filthy mudblood interns would leave us. Yeah. Yeah, and now now he wants to come back and get lunch with us. Yeah, of course he does. I mean, sure, I invited him, but that's no excuse. Anyways, got a lot to cover this week. A lot of comics, a lot of news, a lot of digital junk. Um, I'm sure Stromy will say his fill. And then we got This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club, Spider-Man Blue, which I read last week. You have your hard copy with us? Yep, because I don't have my iPad with me. It's really... What, do you live at home? Yeah, I always live at home. What? Because I forget. That's... No. I've never seen you live at home before. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Um, Really good, though. I'm excited to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But before we can get there, we got to talk about comics on sale this week. A lot of good ones on sale this week. All New Dupe, number two, written by Peter Milligan, art by David LaFuente, color art by Laura Allred. I like that. I like that the Allred touch is still there this one's a lot of fun uh it's dupe as only milligan can write him because i think i really do think at the end of the day only peter milligan truly understands dupe i think a lot of people can write good stories with him but it's not uh necessarily what peter milligan originally intended which is fine that's the nature of uh, a shared universe but there's something special about when milligan writes dupe and here he's trying to romance kitty pride and it's equal parts uh creepy and endearing he learns to speak English really badly. He takes Kitty to like the place he lives in between panels. Uh, it gets a little meta. Uh, a little? Yeah, a little <laughs> meta. Um, and this is taking place during Battle of the Atom. So it's actually showing, and I love this because I love any time someone go back and do this. Milligan seamlessly shows how Dupe's adventure with Kitty impacts key events in Battle of the Atom. And at the end of the issue, Dupe interacts with another key Battle of the Atom character, and I'm very interested to see where that's going to go. Yes. Um, all New X-Factor number eight. Sorry, I had a yeah, break. wake part. up. Yeah. Uh, all New X-Factor number eight, written by Peter David, art by Carmine D. Gian Domenico. This with, is episode 134. Yeah. It's time to get it down. At some point, I'll, I'll know. Uh, <laughs> color art by Lee Lowridge. You got to go... Or and deal with it. I didn't know what the second part it was. was. Deal with it. Come well, that's on. That's yours. Mine is. Oh, okay. We well, need a catchphrase. Do, let's do it. <laughs> that's good. That's a start. Maybe. Uh, anyway, all new X Factor number eight. Uh, this is a great little story. It's as Peter David does. It's um. It's really funny. Uh, it's got some quirk to it, and it's also gonna punch you in the heart because mm. uh, you've got the X Factor team coming to find this. Uh, they find this new mutant essentially, and she's got these powers, uh, but she doesn't realize she's a mutant. She's been homeschooled, sequestered by her father, who turns out wah, wah, is a racist, <laughs> hates the mutants. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, the um, Harrison Snow comes in, the, the head of Serval, uh, and the one who is bankrolling X-Factor. He comes in and sort of saves the day in a way, uh, but it's there's some really... Some really rough stuff in terms of family dynamics that that'll get you. Uh, got me at least. And uh, also, we got two awesome uh, robots on the team, and I love that. Like, can you call them robots? I mean, artificial intelligences is sure. Well, I mean, Warlock. Warlock's an alien, so he's not a robot. True. And Danger is an AI. 
which I think is a different class. If you Good. read so Avengers robots. AI. Gotcha. God, you're so racist. I know. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number two. Written by Dan Slott, art by Umberto Ramos. Who would have thought in our lifetime we'd ever get to read it? Issue number two of Amazing Spider-Man. I know. What a ride. Uh, so we, I, 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 for some reason, I missed this first page when mm. I read it the other day. It's pretty important. Yeah, it's a hugely important Not for this one. issue, but for but, what's coming up. But yeah, the, the first page is like, boom. You don't necessarily know what's going on, but it's going to mean a lot. Uh, we get into lots of stuff. Dan is really starting to spin a lot of plates. And he's doing. He's always doing that. That's what like, Amazing Spider-Man is. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's very, like, that aspect of it is very old school, but it's very much Dan Slott, very modern. Yeah. Uh, great storytelling going on here. You've got uh, Anna Maria Marconi. Uh, who is dealing? She and Peter Parker are dealing with the reality of their situation. I well, can I just say I love that Dan has found a way to keep her in the book because oh, yeah. I was afraid when Superior ended she get wrapped up, but yes. she has a new role as of this issue, and I'm a big fan. I think she adds so much to this book. Great character. Glad she's not going away. Yeah, uh, we get some good resolution with the Avengers. Um, we get. Uh, Captain America telling Spider-Man to take off his pants, which yep. I always love. Always nice. Uh, always a treat. You get, you know, Parker trying to deal with his role as this CEO, head of a company, and science whiz, more science whiz than mm. he was before. Uh, while that's going on, we've got our villains starting to percolate. We've got Electro, who uh, has a little sugar on the side, but, uh, <laughs> you know, see how that goes for him. Uh, so creepy. We, we get to see uh, some hints at a, a character who will make her presence known very soon. Uh, really great connection with Human Torch and the Fantastic uh, Four book in here. I which, love any Human Torch Spider-Man yes. stuff. So Always great. Always great. Yeah, and then uh, a last page, which uh, the best part is the last page at the very end, the text says, next issue, how could this possibly go wrong? Yeah. I love it. Man, I, and you know what? We take for granted how good Umberto Ramos is. We never really talk about him because there's so much talk about Amazing Spider-Man. And he's been around for so long. But every month, just stepping up his game. That whole art team on Amazing Spider-Man is really, really good. High quality. More amazing. Amazing X-Men number 7, written by Catherine Eminen. Art by Paco Medina. This is a one-shot story. Uh, it's basically puts the amazing in this title it's it's spider-man and his amazing friends spider-man firestar iceman team up which is very nostalgic for some people who used to watch the cartoon back in the day as we were talking about before the podcast Catherine Eminen is a very unique writer um she's a lot of fun her stories are great but there's definitely it's a different kind of story it's very stream of consciousness it's a lot of talking the dialogue is really great and it just kind of goes there's no breaks it's just a story that hits the ground running has a lot of jokes has a lot of action and you're not gonna have time to catch your breath in this case uh, Iceman and Firestar are shopping and they end up with a baby falling out of the sky Spider-Man wants the baby back involves a goat aliens and a football game and that's pretty much typical Catherine Eminem comic it's a lot of fun. Pac Medina is totally up to drawing all of this. He's great. This is right up his alley. Yeah. I really like Iceman in this issue. You know, Iceman is one of my favorites, but he gets to really act the fool in this issue. <laughs> and uh, just a great dynamic between the three of these characters. There's a reason they have always been kind of drawn together, uh, whether it was on the cartoon or in other mediums. I think they contrast each other well, not just in terms of powers, but in terms of personality as well. So really fun issue, and you don't need to read anything else to understand it. Totes. And Avengers World number six, Nick Spencer, now taking the sole writer's chair on this book. 
uh, Marco Cicchetto doing interiors this issue. Beautiful cover by Neil Adams, really, really striking, uh, drawn Hyperion, who is the centerpiece of this issue. We go back in time to learn a little bit about how Hyperion came to our world, uh, his connection with AIM, really a character-centric issue, his stuff in the Savage Land, him talking to Thor a lot, figuring out his relationship with life, with death, with destroying worlds, with saving worlds. AIM has a plot that is bigger than anything that's going on. You get to see Hyperion, Thor, and Captain Marvel beat up a lot of AIM agents, and then we get a glimpse of what AIM is fully capable of. Awesome. Andrew Forsen is awesome. Yeah. Uh, that character, the, the head of AIM, the Scientist Supreme, is really good he's I, I breaking remember, out as a villain i don't even remember where he came from like where did he first he's show just up? been showing up in the last couple of years it's like been... yeah he's been all over secret avengers avengers yeah he, i think he was in fantastic four when hickman was writing it like Makes sense yeah really good villain and really big stuff coming from aim even bigger than what we've already seen totally all right on to daredevil number three by mark wade chris somney and uh javier rodriguez i believe i assume oh yeah of course uh, Fans all there. Yeah, Javier Rodriguez, that, the team supreme. Uh, so we follow Daredevil as he's trying to unravel the what is going on with the Shroud, why he's being such a jerk. Uh, you've got the Owl being super creepy mm. and super awesome. Uh, we get a good hint at what's going on with uh, Foggy. Not all the cards are laid out on the table, but we do see a lot of stuff come together, which is really cool. Uh, Krista McDuffie is just the best. Uh, she's such a she's a hoot. Um, and then you really get to see uh, Matt, you know, sort of lawyer his way into something. And by the end, he's gonna have to daredevil his way out. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's pretty cool. It's good terminology. Yeah, you know, I, that's okay. what I do. Yeah. Uh, and as always, the art is freaking gorgeous. Somni and Rodriguez, a team for the ages. Uh, over to Deadpool Annual, number two, written by Christopher Hastings, and, which, who writes the Dr. McNinja. Yeah, he sure does. And um, art by Jacopo Camagni. Yay. And art uh, colors by Matt Mila. Uh, so this is an annual. The idea is it's a big story, uh, single, done in one, but it, it lets the creative team do uh, something a little bit longer, something a little bit uh, bigger than they may have done in the regular book. Uh, so here you have... Deadpool and Spidey teaming up, sort of. Deadpool just... He just happens upon Spidey. Mm -hmm. uh, and Spidey's having a bad day. Stuff is going wrong, and he thinks Deadpool is the chameleon. Uh, the chameleon is throwing many monkey wrenches in Spider-Man's life at the moment here. Uh, and so things go crazy. There's a big old switcheroo, and it's hilarious. This was... I, I love it. I laughed out loud a bunch of times on the train this morning reading this. There's a couple Mortal Kombat references in <laughs> here. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff. It's cool to see Deadpool sort of trying to be Spider-Man and trying to figure out how, what would, you know, it's a, it's very much a what would Spider-Man do. Uh, there's this great villain called the Master. Is oh, he God. new? It's definitely new. Yeah. The Master was terrific. Yeah. Uh, he's the Spider-Man, the spider this snake-themed villain. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on there. It's really great. Uh, Chameleon is awesome throughout this, but this uh, surprised the hell out of me. I'll be honest. It was fantastic. It's always nice when these one-shots kind of come out of nowhere and just yeah. rock. Speaking of rocking, Electra number two. Uh, we could obviously spend like a whole podcast just talking about Mike Del Mundo's art. It's so incredible. Yep. 
guys. Like, yep. there's nothing like this anywhere. Yep. Not just the colors, the layouts, uh, the way it looks like watercolors, just the way every page is coming up with something new to do, the way it flows like one panel into the next. Something I really noticed in this issue is how well he does action, though, because he can do these beautiful tapestries of stuff. When you get into the fight scenes in this issue, like it really draws my eye to where it needs to be, yeah. especially when Electra's going one-on-one with uh, Lady Bullseye. Um, aside from that, like look at this sequence. Look at this double page. Right? Oh my goodness! You got Scalp Hunter up here doing his thing. I love I love the fact that Scalp Hunter's like on in getting up in that tier and yeah. trying to uh, like hang doing with his these best. badasses. Yeah, it's great. But aside from the art, which again can just go on and on about, really really nice story by Hayden Blackman. Uh, continuing from last issue, Electra's taking a contract to go after this legendary mercenary Cape Crow. And at the same time, Scalp Hunter and Lady Bullseye are converging. They're all on Monster Island, so there's all these crazy monsters. Like, what a fun story. And I love the way Elektra just has this kind of... She's got this this aura to her, this rep, that when she shows up, it's like Scalp Hunter's not scared of her, but he should be, and Lady Bullseye gets it. Like, Lady Bullseye's like, okay, this is going to be a fight. At the same time, Elektra builds Lady Bullseye up. like, Like, Scalp Hunter's basically there, and they're both like, you're not on our level yeah like we are gonna have a fight you go off and do your thing go go, go play with the you know the, oh, go, go play, sit at the kids table yeah, go play with this giant dinosaur thing while we <laughs> have a hardcore violent bloody fight so Electra is trying to get to cape crow these two are trying to get to cape crow because he embarrassed bullseye and scalp hunter along with a couple others a few years back Electra makes a discovery as to the nature of cape crow it kind of flips the script it changes her mission. And there's this other dude who I don't think has even been named yet. This villain. Which, talking about the matchmaker. She's great, too. This guy. He was named in the first issue, and I keep forgetting what he is. But he is the villain find of 2014. I'm saying that right now. He is my favorite new villain. He's, he eats people and gains their memories yeah. or powers. Well, he eats, like, certain or things. he eats anything. Well, because he's like, if I eat your tongue, I'll know how to speak whatever language you speak. If I eat your... If what I else? eat your toe, I I'm, will... I'll be faster. Yeah. Yeah, because I like he's taunting Lady Bulls. I say, if I, eat your t- I could eat your toes, but I'm already faster than you. I could eat your tongue, but I already know more languages. Like, just great. And he's got a crazy spider head and a crazy... Not spider, like a tiger head and a mask. And he's got some sort of connection to Electra. I love this issue. Oh, he's the best. This was awesome. Yes. Hulk number three, written by the Marks, well, written and drawn by the Marks, Mark Wade, Mark Bagley. We're starting to get to the heart of what happened to the Hulk. He got shot in the head. He's all messed up. He's fighting abomination in this small town. The Avengers show up in the form of, I like this grouping of Avengers, Cap, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, and Sunspot. Yeah. Just because, hey, Sunspot's an Avenger. Nice for him to show up once in a while. Maria Hill's trying to run interference. We get a new dynamic for Bruce Banner, Hulk. Which is always, you know, that's kind of the heart of what, what's going on with Hulk. Is like, to me, you got to change it up every once in a while. You know, that's what Peter David did back in the day. That's what Kirk Pock did. That's what a lot of people have done. So we get the brain damage that Bruce has from this gunshot wound is affecting him in terms of how he's healing. It's messing with his mind. And that is going to change how Hulk is going forward. Look at this awesome Mark Bagley just drawing these powerful, immense figures. Um, and then this last page is just... I take that as a post. I should like to see that in the movie films. Oh, that scene right there. That would be so hot. I want that on the big screen. So hot. So hot. All right. Magneto, number four, written by Colin Bunn, 
art by Javier Fernandez and Jordi Belair. This is, it's essentially a horror comic with the monster as the main character. It is. And it's fantastic. That's a great way to put it, because I was trying to figure out when I was reading this. I really like Magneto, but number one, it's not appropriate for everyone. Like, no. not all ages at it's all. It's vicious. It's hard to define. It's yeah. scary. It is not a superhero it's book, so the way you put threatening. it. It's threatening. It's uh, intense. Uh, you you feel for the character's motivations, which is always the interesting thing, you know. Yeah. And you you have these uh, a, a horror thing, where you have a monster who's you know like ah rampaging. No, he is he's a killer. He's a monster, and he's going after a very specific set of people. But he has a reason. You can you understand why he's doing what he's doing. But then you get to these scenes where he's he's basically going after the purifiers because the purifiers are just horrible, and he's. There's one page, one, two, three, five panels, and just death and destruction, silent. It's fantastic. It's very moody. Sounds like the demolition theme song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How does that go? Pain and destruction. Pain and destruction. Paving the, the way. way. Yeah, it was awesome. There you uh, go, guys. You're welcome. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, Magneto just tearing it up. I highly suggest you read this book. Yeah, it's um, really good. Yeah, it's... It's a very intense read, but very, very worth it. Yeah. Really good. Uh, and I imagine fans of the films will like it even more. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, over to Miracle Man, number six. Yes. Some people call it. Someone called me out. They didn't hashtag This Week in Marvel. They called me out as like, I pronounced Miracle Man wrong in their opinion. Really? They say, I say Miracle Man. You said that? Or the... No, the dude Miracle? tweeted me. No, like M-E-R-R-A-C-L. Miracle? Miracle. I don't know. It sounds right to me. Miracle, miracle Man. That's miracle how you man. say it. Like, what is the other way to it say it, It is a miracle. It, and you he's a man. You didn't hashtag this with Marvel, so I don't know your name. But, like, what? I don't, how do you want me to say it? Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> Teach me to say this this character's name. Anyways, go ahead. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so this is book two. The start of, I think it's the start of book two, the Red King Syndrome storyline. No, sorry, last. Start of last week. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So you get um, Miracle Man's wife has been captured by Doctor Gargunza Garzunga Mil Gargunza Gargunza yeah and um, it's it's super uh, this is another very creepy very scary very right. awesome book uh, we get to see a lot uh, you get to see the history between Gargunza and uh, the Miracle Man family what he was doing why he was doing things his total history in this you get his origin and you know what he's all about and he's he you know he comes he started as you know a parody of a bunch of different mm-hmm. you know old 50s villains but here he's layered and becomes so much more Creepy. very interesting character uh and you know you get to see what's in store for him why things have come together it's just Really great layering uh, for this big story going on. Yeah, and there's some Gargunza stuff like way down the line, which I really yeah. like once the uh, writer shift takes place. Yeah. So it's good to get on the ground floor. Nova number 17. First, let's talk about this cover by, uh, is this Paco Medina or did Ed McGinnis do this one? I think it's Ed. Ed McGinnis, uh, aping the She-Hulk number one by John Byrne, where She-Hulk threatens to rip up everyone's X-Men comics. Instead, you've got Sam Alexander's little sister threatening to rip up Guardians of the Galaxy comics. Wonderful. This is a catch-your-breath issue. Sam just came back from space. It's Jerry Duggan and Paco Medina. He brought home this giant thing. Because his main concern right now is that he found out that his mom is having trouble paying the rent. 
He knows his dad's alive, but he can't go and find him yet. So he's trying to figure out ways to generate some cash for his mom. Brings back this giant gold thing from space. Turns out it's dripping with radioactivity. And that's kind of the story of this issue is Sam trying to do things and not doing them right, which is kind of the story of Sam Alexander as Nova. Uh, as promised on the cover, his little sister does get her hands on the helmet. She totally becomes Nova for a few pages. It's great. And then the mom is trying to run interference because a bunch of UFO enthusiasts are in town and they're trying to track down Sam. Sam goes and tries to save a couple people from a burning house. Whether or not he succeeds, you can judge. And then he has a nice talk with his mom. And then we head right into Original Sin on the last page. A devastating last page. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, this is like oh. original sin is gonna be so tough for Nova. The wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god! I mean, I talked to Jerry Duggan about it. I think we're gonna have that podcast up probably, if not this week, then next week, uh, talking about Nova and just how hard original sin is gonna hit him because the Watcher is his buddy oh. and that he's gonna get hit most of all. Brutal. All Coming right. right up. Speaking of which, yes, uh, original sin. <laughs> Number two, written by Jason Aaron, art by Mike Diodato, with colors by Frank Martin. Uh, so, big issue here as we start to see some things come together. Uh, we've got a lot of our little teams, you know, various folks going off together to sort of investigate. You've got Black Panther and Emma Frost and uh, Ant-Man together. Cap, uh, a bunch of the Avengers are tracking uh, another rogue mindless one. And that the mindless ones, like... Such a heartbreaker. Mm. They they get Ugh. they they get minds. They the get J- these, the way Jason writes them. Oh, so intelligence, tragic. and they're just like, why won't you let me keep running? And it's just I, you know, I demand ignorance, make yeah. me mindless again. It's so sad, and there's just pff, lots of bad stuff going on there. Mm. Uh, Punisher and Doctor Strange. That's which the is, best team. Up. That is a duo for I mean, the ages. It's like kind of Jason Aaron said that was the team up we're all going to enjoy. So I think yeah, your inclination is like, no, I'm going to enjoy another team up more, but it's impossible. Yeah. Punisher and Doctor Strange are the best. That is the jam. Uh, some great stuff between Banner and Iron Man. Uh, we get to see our villains a little bit more here uh, throughout this, this issue. We get to see a lot more of them by the end. But uh, Exterminatrix, uh, she was she both the the main villains uh, aside from one are from Grant Morrison's Marvel Boy limited series. And they also Exterminatrix appeared in Young Avengers just right. recently. But if you were a fan of that run of Marvel Boy, that Marvel Boy limited series, uh, you will enjoy. Seems like it's a good time to read that Marvel Boy sure does. series. Sure does. Hmm. Probably a good time to go back and read that because yeah. these two seem like, the, her and one other villain seem like they're going to be pretty key to what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but also, if you've ever read a Jason Aaron comic, the big villain reveal on the last page should be no surprise to you whatsoever. No, but, you know, I Still think... Still cool. Yeah. And it's going to, he, as always, he makes you, like, love that character. Yep. Uh, and this character, uh, the the thing looking one, yeah. yeah, is who I think it is. I think probably is I th- who I think it I is. I think it's who you think it is. Yeah, but I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, lots of cool stuff here. The mystery is deepening, you know. But the end of the issue is send the main. The this villain goes. It's a bomb. A bomb full of secrets. And what yep. do bombs do? They go boom. And that's, and that's not a big spoiler because no. you'll you'll see how all that comes together and what that means. Um, but that's that's a bomb. Yeah. So that's dropping it. Boom. Boom. Savage Wolverine number 19, written by Gail Simone, doing her first full-length Marvel work in quite some time. Art by Neil Edwards, covered by Shane Davis, which I love. Just hey, Shane Davis. Crazy. He's been doing some covers lately, and he just looks awesome. 
is a one and done, I believe. Uh, it's a team up between Wolverine and Jubilee, set around the time Jubilee joined the X-Men once they were back in the X-Mansion. So around, around X-Men number one, 1991 times. They have been captured by AIM, um, and they have been placed in kind of this mind messing thing where they're in these weird scenarios it's kind of fun because jubilee thinks that she is wolverine and that wolverine's her sidekick and the conceit is that if wolverine breaks her out of this uh false reality it's gonna mess her up so he has to kind of pretend to be her sidekick it's it's a typical gail simone comic there's good action there's good violence but it's a healthy mix of humor really fun for a done in one issue uh, that's what they've been doing with savage wolverine lately i've been enjoying it Thor, God of Thunder, number 22, Last Days of Midgard, part four. We're still splitting between the far future and the present. There's another one written by Jason Aaron. Beautiful art by Asad Rabik and Yves Sforzina. Yves Sforzina, however you say it. Um, man, there's some there's some images in here that I just can't believe. Uh, when the Minotaur shows up. And transforms in the Minotaur. It's one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a long time. All right, in the present, you've got Ross Solomon trying to clean up what's going on with Roxxon and Thor just being as problematic as possible. It's an interesting challenge for Thor because this is a problem he can't punch. And the more he punches it, the worse he makes it. And S.H.I.E.L.D., specifically Roz, is trying to clean up his mistakes. Um, but he's not making it easy. Broxton is not doing well. Coulson's in this, like, just as a guy talking to... Uh, Roz, and he's great. Then, meanwhile, in the future, you've got the daughters of Thunder, the three goddesses, the granddaughters of Thor, all with their own weapons. One has the axe, one has a hammer, one has Stormbreaker. They're fighting Galactus. It is some of the most awesome action you will see anywhere. And then Grandpa Thor, King Thor, is on his way back. Ulick is still in the mix. Um, He's coming up. And just look at that Minotaur drawing. Just incredible. If I could marry this comic, I would. That's weird. I'm not going to comment no, on I it. I want to marry the comic. And then King Thor, uh, time back to an earlier arc of this book, goes after the one weapon he thinks can stop Galactus. Yeah. All right, Ultimate FF number two, written by Josh Hale Fialkov, with art by Mario Guevara, Tom Grumman, and a host of others. Uh, your team is Invisible Woman, uh, Iron Man, Falcon, and Doctor Doom, or Doctor. Victor Van Damme. Victor Van Damme. Uh, so and, yeah. Uh, and you got so much Namor up in this piece. Oh, Ultimate Namor. Namor. Yeah, it was uh, crazy not mohawk, just like gelled up hair. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just great. There's a lot of bickering, a lot of fighting. Everybody who wants to, uh, you know, make it with uh, Sue Storm, and she's just like, you are all the worst. They're awful. Just get away. Wow, everyone I've ever been interested in is horrible. What's wrong with me? There's a great moment where Iron Man's like, oh, you have a type. type, (laughs) It's really funny. Uh, And yeah, we get to see, you know, a lot of, uh, I think these are Lemurians, yes. Lemurians, yes. and a uh, big throwdown and the arrival of a, of a character in a really fun moment towards the end. Yeah. Uncanny X-Men number 21, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Chris Bacciallo. The X-Men, specifically Cyclops, Emma, and Magic, show up at the Jean Grey School, where honestly they seem to just show up every couple weeks at this point. Like, it's always, they show up on the front lawn and everyone freaks out, but like, come on guys, you know they're coming. They're regularly there. Uh, Their powers are out of control. Storm has some nice moments here where she tries to help them. Beast trying to help things. S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up, continuing their little throwdown with the X-Men. We go back to Genosha, stuff with the Blob and Magneto, who's in this book as well. Dazzler, stuff moves forward there. Kind of a nice moment between Blob and Magneto. 
kind of sad, kind of heart-wrenching. And then this mystery villain who's been pulling the strings since before issue number one makes his move, uh, takes control of technology, and knows the X-Men, and Beast knows who he is, and I really want to know who this villain is. Um, definitely has some sort of ties to the X-Men's past, uh, to Beast, to Cyclops. Hopefully we'll learn soon. Bendis, you sadist. Is it Cameron Hodge? Are we bringing Cameron Hodge back? I don't know, man. Maybe. Remember Cameron Hodge? I, yeah, I love Cameron Hodge. Big, messy pinchers and everything. Ugh. It's so weird. So gross. Yeah. All right, uh, Wolverine and the X-Men, number four, written by Jason Latour, art by Mahmoud Asrar. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Quentin Quire is trying to get some advice and some info out of the... Xavier School X-Men team, right. which is Cyclops' crew. They all just travel back and forth. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They go out of their way to have these secret or secure schools, but they basically might as well have like a joint campus. Yes. That's great. Uh, you've got old John, this, you know, Ascani future mm-hmm. warrior dude who's just laying waste to everything, uh, manipulating all kinds of stuff, a lot of infighting going on. Uh, you've got Cy- uh, Wolverine and Storm going after this new Phoenix Corporation business. Um, you've got uh, some Phantom X, which is always good. The core of it, you know, Evan, probably going to be Apocalypse. Probably. That, that's what everybody's saying. That's and you know, it seems like. And it, he's even being like, oh my god, what am I going to do? I'm yeah. going to be evil. I don't want to be evil. And it's, you know, the clock is ticking. They have to figure out how to stop all this from going on and how TikTok to see him. Tick-tock, Tick-tock. Um, yeah, and so there's a lot of a lot of impending doom feeling to this, uh, but, you know, it's always good. All right, finally, X-Men number 14. The lead is written by Brian Wood with art by Clay Mann. There's also a backup, also but written by Wood with art by Phil Briones. This really reminded me of, like, an X-Men comic from when we were growing up in the 90s um, with a new school sensibility. But in a sense, there's, like, three or four stories interweaving, and it all kind of revolves around the school. They are trying to figure out this mystery villain, the future, who wants Jubilee's kid, Shogo. Monet, totally kind of the breakout star for me of this book. Oh, yeah. Brian Wood loves writing her, oh. wrote her back on Generation X. Her and Rachel Gray trying to take down a guy who's trying to assassinate students. Storm has some drama going on with her daughter from the future, who was from Chimera. Battle of the Atom, Chimera. She's so awesome. She's around. This is what I'm talking about. Just kind of like these little conversations interspersed. Love this moment Psylocke has with one of the students who's scared. And Psylocke just being like, you should be terrified all the time. It's really scary to be here, but don't worry. I'm going to take you safe. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's not, maybe not the best at pep talks. No, but she's said that. She's admitted that. Like, yeah. that was the whole point of Uncanny X-Force was yeah. that she didn't want to be here anymore. But she's doing her best. She's got a psychic crossbow. Hello, that's awesome. And then uh, the ladies have, like, a frank discussion about, like, look, we're a team. We need to start acting like a team. We have not been doing a very good job. We haven't been on the same page. Let's get on the same page because stuff is going badly, and then Chimera steps up um, to try to battle the villain, the future, and things are going to get worse. Backup story, Bromo Superior, one of the greatest titles ever. Uh, Hellion, Anul, Brew, and Rockslide have busted into Psylocke's danger room sequence, and like the restrictions are off so they can get hurt, and they have to fight their way out of that, with Psylocke kind of helping them, but kind of just being a jerk. <laughs> Very nice. All right, time to pick. Yep. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, uh, I'm torn between Original Sin 2, uh, Deadpool Annual, and Thor, God of Thunder. All good choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with Deadpool Annual. Yeah. 
Well, it's a very unique book. Yeah. So that you on that. Amazing Spider-Man was really good. That last mm. issue I just talked mm. about, X-Men was good. Magneto, like we said. Oh, I'm going to go with Electra. I really oh, yeah. liked Electra oh, this week. Oh, God, yes. Wow, I'm an idiot. Hey, man. I made my pick. Don't be so hard on yourself. I got to live with it. All right. So you guys, of course, let us know what your Twim of the Week was. Meanwhile, collections on sale. I thought I put these in last night, but they're not there anymore. So uh, go look it up. Books. Sure, we got some great stuff out this week. Book, we, book, we always book, book. do. Um, do you remember anything you got in your stack? Nope. All right. I'm sure there was some Spider-Man, probably some Avengers, maybe Hulk. Yeah, there was definitely some sort of complete collection of some Spider-Man. sort. Spider-Man. All right. So, uh, yeah, we let you guys down on that one. More surely, I let you down because I thought <laughs> I put that in. Uh, but I can tell you what digital comics are on sale this week. And that's everything we just mentioned, along with... Original Sin Secret Avengers Infinite Comic Number 1, written by Al Shkot, ties into Original Sin, also ties into Secret Avengers, stars the young Nick Fury. Looks like it was going to be a lot of fun. Al was really excited to work on it, specifically to work in the Infinite Comics. I thought you were going to say it also features the Young Bucks. Uh, Yes, the Young Bucks are super kicking everyone. (laughs) Should we talk about that we went to Ring of Honor in New Japan? Yeah, man, that was fun. It was really fun, you guys. Wrestling Uh, nerds, you would have loved this show. It was crazy. You can can watch it still on uh, ROH's website, ROHwrestling.com. They have a pretty good stream, from what I understand. But yeah, man, I've never gotten to see Japanese wrestling live, or really at all. Uh, It was really cool getting to see some of the big stars of New Japan. Um, I really like uh, our, our friend, former Marvel editor Aubrey Citizen, told me I was going to really like uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh, and I, I know. loved him. Nakamura is the man. Yeah, not even like his wrestling, just his character. His character is so, so good. good. Yeah, so good. <laughs> I really liked uh, Kushida. Yeah, whose whole gimmick was that he's like a Back to the Future fan. Like he comes out <laughs> dressed in the Marty McFly like little vest thing. <sighs> like our, our buddy, our buddy who was with us had to explain it to me. I was yeah. like, "What's going on?" I was like, "I would, really, I'd be curious if anyone's listening to this in Japan. Like, did you guys just get Back to the Future? Or is that a thing? <laughs> like, what happened?" I don't no, know, it was, it's awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a great, great show. Uh, totally different wrestling than you expect if you watch, you know, what's on regular TV. Sure, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's I don't know how they. If they don't do it 300 days a year, they wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Uh, but when they do it, wow, it's an it's an experience. It was definitely it was definitely different from the last time we watched live wrestling together, being up in WrestleMania mm. press box in the press box, like thousand people. <laughs> and this was we're in Hammerstein ballroom, you know, with a couple hundred. Just sit wherever you want, walk yeah. wherever you want. It was it was pretty cool. Crazy crowd. Very cool experience. Yeah. All right, also on sale through the Marvel Comics app, uh, Avengers issues 242 through 254, as well as Avengers Annual number 13. I'm sure that's all one big storyline. And Captain America issues 315 through 338, as well as 340 through 341. Collections on the app, Cable and X-Force Volume 4, Vendetta, Daredevil, Dark Knights, which I highly recommend. A lot of a variety of good stories in there. Fantastic Four Volume 3, Doomed, Mighty Avengers Volume 1, No Single Hero, Wolverine Volume 2, Killable, and of course, Young Avengers Volume 3, Mike Drop at the Edge of Time and Space. Such a great title. Wonderful title. All right, freshly digitized comics for Marvel Unlimited. We've got a bunch. We've got All New X-Men number 19, Amazing X-Men number 3, Avengers from the original run numbers 231, 232, 235, 238, 240, and 241, Avengers Assemble 21, 
Daredevil, number 33. Fantastic Four, number 14. Incredible Hulk, 441. Indestructible Hulk, 15. Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe, number 2. Secret Avengers, number 11. Superior Spider-Man Annual, number 1. Superior Spider-Man Team-Up, number 6. Thunderbolts, number 18. Uncanny X-Men, number 14. X-Men, number 7. X-Men Legacy, number 20. And Young Avengers, number 12. All right. That's a lot. Uh, Ben, what do we got for news? Okay. We got something called Axis. Uh, We're recording this before we drop the news, Uh so I'm just going to be super careful and say we've got something called Axis, and you'll learn more about it soon. Yeah, just in case things go Yeah, because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, people know that we have an event coming up called Axis, but hopefully by the time this podcast drops, you will have learned and seen more. And if you haven't, you will very soon. Our boy Jerry Duggan, writer of Deadpool, writer of Nova, is taking on a new role as writer of Hulk, taking it over, I believe, in August. We've got an interview with him on his plans. Mark Bagley sticking around on art. Different direction there for uh, for Jerry, but playing up a lot of the stuff that Mark Wade's been doing. He sent me his outline. Did I send it to you? I don't think so. I'll send it to you. Send it to me. It's terrific. It needs to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, as part of our Marvel 75th anniversary, we've been counting down top Villains of the 60s. This yeah. is an interesting list. Um, it's fun, man. It's, just, it's cool going back and looking at these villains and their first appearances. Uh, today is Tuesday, and I can say that we already have seen Mephisto and Kang and Ultron and Dormammu. Um, it's kind of it's cool seeing guys like Dormammu, who you maybe wouldn't expect to make the top 10, yeah. get on in there. Uh, he's a big, scary dude. And we got more to come. Young Guns this week focuses on Nick Bradshaw as well as Mahmoud Azrar coming later this week. Nick had some... Wait, why am I saying Nick Bradshaw? It was Ryan Stegman. Sorry, Ryan. Do not oh, apologize to Stegman. I hope this ruined your day. <laughs> Ryan Stegman was the focus on today, Tuesday. We'll have Mahmoud Azrar later in the week. We Bad showed boy, up. Ryan Stegman. Yeah. Comic sexy man, Ryan Stegman. <laughs> um, we had some first look at some of Ryan's art for Inhuman. It looks great. Black and white stuff. And he talked about kind of where, how he got where he's at, went through his whole journey, who he learned from, admitted to not knowing everything from day one. So that in alone is the reason you should check this out. Admitting defeat. Yeah. So there you go. That's what I got for comics. Awesome. Uh, big old Guardians of the Galaxy week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. New poster, new trailer, live chat with some fun, in- interesting information. In the live chat, Batista uh, said that there will be no Batista bomb in the movie. What? Yeah. Was it maybe it's just a Drax bomb? Maybe it's called something else. Maybe uh, I don't know, man. I remember I remember when The Rock started doing movies and they would try to work. His they movies. would always. Yeah, it's been in like five of his movies. Like he's definitely maybe done. More. Yeah, he's definitely I think done he's Rock done bottoms. it in. He did it. He definitely did it in the GI Joe movie he was in. Oh yeah, and that's like a year and a half ago. The thing is, though, I feel like the rock bottom is so easy to kind of like seamlessly work in because you're basically just grabbing a guy and throwing him. <laughs> Batista bomb takes like setup. Yeah, kick him in the gut. Yeah, yeah, force him down for a bit. Like, sure, it's a little more. They can make it work. I, I, I'd, I'd rather just see him hit a like rad spine buster. Yes, that would do it for me. I'm Even cool a spear, spear, spine yeah. buster. When yeah. it's like Batista has really good clotheslines. Yeah, just or some get, wrestling move. Yeah, do the thumbs down. Thumbs down. Yeah. I was watching actually on WWE Network last night. I was watching a countdown best backstabs. Yeah. And they had when Randy Orton got kicked out of Evolution. And they had him on the shoulders and it's so just great. slow. Yeah. Triple H giving the thumbs down and Batista just dumps him. Yeah, I was not watching at that time, but I've seen that segment so Very many close. times. Do you want to guess what number one was? 
Uh, best backs. Oh, it was uh, Sean and Marty. Yeah, sure it was. It was. I was. I wasn't surprised that was number one. That was great, and I liked that Shawn Michaels did commentary and uh, talked about how, like, to this day, no one will like go to the barber shop with him. Something corny. <laughs> but some of the, like lower ones, like they had Bret Hart, Owen Hart, which uh-huh. is great. But Cesaro, our boy Cesaro, uh, is one of the talking heads on it, like uh-huh. doing the commentary, and he was so mad at Bret Hart, not Owen, Bret, <laughs> just like going into detail on how this was all Bret's fault. Totally could have been avoided. Really passionate. He's like, Brett, you were so selfish. Like, why couldn't you just give Owen a chance? I like how they go back and forth from reality, the oh, storyline yeah. and character. It's to, awesome. Like, regular person. But so, yeah, because they're all talking about, like, watching as a kid. Um, yeah, because they had other ones. They had, like, Hulk and Andre. And oh, man, that's a good one. They have the Hardy split, which is really high, um, which surprised Interesting. me. Interesting. Um, just because that was kind of whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what else they had, but they had some really good ones. They had uh, all sorts of stuff and all sorts of good content. They had... Trish Stratus and Chris Jericho when Trish turned on Jericho, uh, which you was probably doing your blind spot, but they like Jericho trying to keep a straight face while standing character, but like, yeah, yeah, she broke my heart. <laughs> so good stuff. Countdown's one of my favorite shows on WWE Network. It's true. I love that show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. Lots going on. Oh yeah. Uh, very exciting. Um, Disney Infinity stuff is coming together. Um Avengers Alliance. Yeah, man. Big news in Avengers Alliance. We have a new spec op going on. With two characters. Two characters. I've already played as Sandman. Mm -hmm. Gotta get him. You get Anti-Venom as well. A lot of great bosses. It's all the symbiotes from back during the separation anxiety. (laughs) Limited series. I'm talking to Justin Woods from Avengers Alliance later this week. Should hopefully be up this week. We're going to start doing this with Avengers Alliance going kind of behind the scenes of how these stories and characters and stuff get picked because it's interesting I have no idea what's coming uh, and we got something else coming from Avengers Alliance next week which I don't know if we can talk about yet but by this time next week we'll be able to talk about it I don't remember what that is but great yeah we'll tell, hold off on tell it. you during the break yeah but yeah a lot of Avengers Alliance stuff coming down that pike alright uh, hold on let me get my pen so I know where our you have a pen I, th- I brought a pen and I can write on my iPhone did I not ah here it is there pen. you go alright alright behind the scenes guys this is how it really works so we'll be back uh, oh wait no we're kicking over to Stromy yeah yeah Stromy lay it down jeez man what's wrong with you Hello there this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom coming to you from always sunny, always beautiful Los Angeles with the latest on Marvel West news, beginning with, of course, we released the second full trailer for Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy this past Monday. This past Monday we did. It finally gives you your first I Am Groot, you get to hear and see more of Rocket, you get more of Drax, Gamora, and of course, Chris Pratt as Peter Quill. It's incredible. If you haven't seen it yet, I don't, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that every single person who is listening to us has seen it. But go watch it again, because it's that good. And of course, movie comes out August 1st, which is just like maybe two and a half months away-ish. So we'll have plenty more to come in that time. Of course, we also showed off the new poster for the film that features all of our heroes sort of in battle-ready poses. Uh, That came out last Friday, but you can still check it out on Marvel.com right now. 
And if you're curious about learning more about the Guardians, we did a really great piece. Our writer, Brett, Brett White, did a really great piece that sort of highlights some introductory comics to each of the characters, to Peter Quill, to Rocket, to Groot, to Drax, to Gamora, and even to Nebula, one of the film's villains, or villainesses, I guess? I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean. In other news, this week brings the final showdown between the Avengers and the Cabal in Marvel's Avengers Assemble. This is what the entire season has been building to. The Red Skull has gone crazy nutso, or at least more crazy nutso than he normally is, I suppose. He has the power of the Tesseract in his grip. He's big, he's bad. Our heroes gotta take him down. Like I say, this is what's all been building towards. And as such, we've had a bunch of really great content this week. We did the top five battles between the Avengers and the Cabal. We ranked them. Well, the battles that have happened so far in the season, at least. And you can check that out right now on Marvel.com. Of course, we had our usual The Avengers Hold Court, talking with supervising producer Court Lane about... Last Sunday's episode and looking ahead to this Sunday's, we have a new preview clip that features Hulk and Hyperion duking it out with a uh, helping Pinky from Tony Stark, Iron Man. You'll have to see the clip to understand that joke. But... You can also get news on... Well, I don't know if it'll be up yet by the time this goes out, so I will just say... Uh, Come to Marvel.com to check out your first look at a villain who makes his debut in the series with this Sunday's episode. And of course, tune in this Sunday, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, inside Marvel Universe on Disney XD to see the full final showdown between the two. Finally, wrapping things up, we have... Some cool new variants coming up on our comics. Of course, you've seen the Art of Level 7, the Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. art program that brought artists like Mike Del Mundo, uh, Stephanie Hans, Phantom City Creative, Emma Rios, Paulo Rivera, and Pascal Campion on to do different posters for the final six episodes of the season. Now, we'll be debuting them as variant covers on different books in August, including Deadpool, Uncanny X-Men, All-New X-Men. Go check out the full list on Marvel.com right now. That pretty much covers everything I've got, so I'll kick it back to those guys in New York. I wish you a safe and splendiferous long weekend, a safer and splendiferous-er week, and... I'll chat with you once again in seven days. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, great job, Mark. Appreciate it. Time for This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club. Our selection was Spider-Man Blue by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. It is, uh, it's merely, you know, something special. Oh, and I got to say, Colors Mm. by Steve Buccellato. Yeah. Um, Wow. Well, yeah, all the the Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb collaborations are, you know, 
the color is very, very important. Very important. Who do the letters on this, actually? I'd be curious to know. Yeah, that's the a lettering good point. is pretty good. This uh, is a complete package. It looks really nice. Yep. Uh, Richard Starkings and Comic Crafts West End. Of course. Abbott. Yeah, because that's Jeff Loeb's go to letter. Yeah. Jeff Loeb, um, you guys know Jeff Loeb is our head of TV, but also comic writer. Um, Jeff's got a thing where he, you know, he has people he likes to work with. Like, he gets really excited to write to for certain artists. But also, he's very passionate about the color. He's very passionate about the letters. He's one of those creators who insists on having, like, the best. Um, and that's why we get projects like this. Yeah. Um, this is really the story of how Peter Parker fell in love with Gwen Stacy. And uh, there's, a, there's a great line. It's about remembering someone so important to me, I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. Mm. And obviously, Gwen died. She was killed. And um, we, we get... Peter sort of talking into a tape recorder and just talking it out, getting some stuff off his chest, you know, basically having a conversation with Gwen, even though, you know, she is long gone at this point. Uh, and, and it really recaps from, you know, very young when he just first sees her, uh, his, you know, from how Mary Jane is introduced, how the dynamics of all their friendships and, you know, their social circle, everything sort of gets to a certain point. And that that one moment where it was like, you know, the explosion uh, happens. It's right. wonderful. With all of that, you get tons of great villain stuff in here. I mean, it's, it's just Jeff and Tim... Going to town, having Loeb, a field day. That's another thing, you know, Loeb loves to do. When Loeb gets to write a character, he he does kind of their villain's greatest hits. Yeah. And gives the artist really a chance to draw, you know, the best villains they have. Um, which in this case is you know, Green Goblin's in there. Rhino. Rhino. Lizard. I love Tim Sale's Lizard. Yeah. Uh, both Vultures. <laughs> um, and these were all... Having read some of these original comics recently, like this is all pretty based on actual comics that came out, and Jeff's just expanding the story. Yeah, it's kind of telling like the scenes in between the scenes. It's all very faithful, yeah. which is impressive. He finds a way to make it all work. Yeah, uh, we get yeah, just finding how it all sits in and, and complements those originals. It's incredible. It's it's such a wonderful story and I you know I hadn't read it in yeah. six seven years whatever probably more and it's just as impactful and just as sad and sweet and gorgeous like Tim Sale's art is amazing phenomenal yeah. like I there aren't enough words to describe not enough adjectives to really say how great it looks and how beautiful this book is it's, right. it's incredible I feel like this is one of the first stories I read when I read it originally where I really saw Gwen Stacy because the only the only other story I'd really read with her was was the issue of Marvels she's in because obviously she was long gone by the time you and I started yeah. reading comics so there wasn't a lot of Gwen Stacy stories so this was really a story where like you know Peter's explaining why he's so into this girl um, and a lot of that just as I understand it like when she was first introduced a lot of the appeal was that John Romita Sr. just drew beautiful women um not like sexualized just like legitimately like oh my god that's that's like a gorgeous just picture of a, of a of a person and tim sale has that same quality like he makes gwen and mj in very very different ways just beautiful and you're just like oh my god of course peter parker would fall in love mm. with this girl and gwen's not even in it that much 
it's just her presence kind of hanging over it. Yeah. Like, she's in every issue. Yes. But, like, MJ's in it more, probably. Yeah. Like, there's more stuff with MJ, but when Gwen shows up, like, it feels important. Yeah. Like, it builds to something. Like, her presence hangs over the whole thing. And the, and the ending, I was waiting to get to it the whole time, because I always remember the last couple pages set in the present. Yeah. Well, first of all, the last page in the past, obviously. Yeah. Oh, man. But then... That's in, when you had me. Yeah. All of me. Oh. But then when they get back to the present, and the moment with Mary Jane, like, number one, the way Tim Sale has clearly delineated, like, this is a different person. Like, you know, she has grown. But her line to Peter, um, uh, the one about Gwen. Got me. Right at the end. So good. Right there. Uh, also, the way he draws Peter in these last couple pages, mm-hmm. you know, draped in shadow, yeah. uh, the... It's very subtle, but the that that feeling of he being blue and feeling yeah. the sadness and just you know remembering her it's it's really incredible. That's like done. you know they they take Loeb takes the time throughout to weave that there's a mystery villain like yeah a sen- like it's, learning and going out there and you could probably get a sense of who it is pretty early on. But the mystery is not really that important. It's just something to fill the time. Like, what's going on with Gwen, with Mary Jane, even with Harry and with Flash. Like, that's that's the important stuff. Um, and then the whole Spider-Man of it all is really, like, kind of the backdrop. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's interesting because a lot of it is sort of what the way they approached it, especially the art and the design of it all, is very um, based on 60s and pop art and, and the colors and everything complemented uh, you know, compl- everything complements each other and is is fed by th- the period that this was originally created and the you know sort of you know you can't think about it too hard but where it's supposed to be set mm-hmm. in a sense and it's um it's great and there's great Aunt May bits in here yeah that Flash stuff uh just everything I this is yeah without a doubt still my favorite Spider-Man story yeah it's right up there for me if if it's not my favorite it's definitely top three it may be my favorite i I think this is a great spider-man story yeah all right now let's get to uh see what you guys thought about it uh first up john dave mccusker says epic book choice this week yes that's all he needed to say indeed dr spidey uh says yes spider-man blue for the next twim urc i needed an excuse to reread this phenomenal series double dipped on this one well thank you for that he says, as an uber Spidey fan, I was so excited to read Spider-Man Blue when it first dropped in 2002, since I love Daredevil Yellow so much. Daredevil Yellow come first? I guess I so. That, yeah. I, did, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I always remember this as being the first one. It just makes sense, because Spider-Man's, you know, where you would start. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think Daredevil Yellow might have come first. And then mm-hmm. Hulk Craig comes after this. Yes. And then... Spider-Man Blue, number and then, one. And then Edge yells at us. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Blue, Pete leaving uh, Gwen a single rose on the top of the Brooklyn Bridge. Or is it George Washington Bridge? We don't get into that. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, that's like the age-old question, right? Yeah. I never make it clear. Because it was, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, love that photographer Phil Sheldon from Marvels is mentioned in number one. Don't think I caught that the first time. Neither did I. Yeah, me neither. I, I, I was like, oh, yeah. I love any time Phil Sheldon gets Hell mentioned. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, he said, forgot that there was a Professor Miles Warren appearance in number two. So many Clone Swap Ugh. Saga tweets I can make right now. Miles Warren such a creep. He is. He's a weirdo. said, uh, in Spider-Man Blue number two, I love Tim Sale's choice of fashion for both Gwen and MJ. Yeah, that, that's part of what we were talking about. Like, yeah. You know, looking at the pop art and also the fashion of the time. And 
Tim just draws the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm also glad Sale didn't just use MJ's black sleeveless number for the face it tiger scene. Yeah, he, he gave her a different dress than yeah. what you would have seen in the original, and but it works fully. In number three, he loves how Tim Sale does a double-page splash in every issue. I know the intention of Twimurc is to read it digitally, but you got to admit that Mary Jane looks pretty great in an oversized hardcover. Mary Jane always looks pretty great. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Blue as a whole was a delightful retelling of the beginning of the classic Lee Romita era. It does a superb job at completely fleshing out Pete's crush on Gwen and makes the reader literally fall in love with her. As a Spidey continuity hound, I can forgive the missteps Loeb makes with Peter's timeline because it made for a better story structure. Plus, to no prize it away, you could say that Pete just didn't remember all the chronological details in his recording. There you go. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's the memory. is yeah. Memory has a funny way of doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And finally, he says, cover to Amazing Fantasy number 15 has been homaged more homaged. times than I can count, but Tim Sale's rendition in number five is perfect. It's yeah, a really good And one. it was a really fun uh, way twist. To do it. Yeah, because yeah, Flash. Penelope Cat, Spider-Man, Blue number one, Loeb's narration brings the fantastic to a personal level and introduces everyone very well. Moving on to issue number two. Loeb really makes the Peter Gwen story feel like the beginnings of a loving relationship without being overblown. Sales art for me evokes both Ditko and Romita without slavishly aping either or losing his own style. He is kind of a nice mix of the two because he has the kind of angular, when he does the villains or he does yeah. Harry, like the nice angular, crazy Ditko stuff. And then, like I said, draws women very much like Romita and draws kind of the more mature Peter Parker. So yeah, that's a good observation. I have to admit, I've been a fan of Tim Sale's art since his Thieves' World graphic novels, which I think is his first solo work. I don't even know what that is. Hmm. Sounds great. No matter how often it's reinterpreted, that classic MJ debut never gets old. It really is one of the best, like, first appearances ever. Especially because they built it for so long. I can only imagine if I was reading the book at the time, like, what that would have been like. Um... Moving on to issue number three, Loeb and Sale do a great job showing Gwen and MJ as two clearly distinct, different people, both physically and in personality. Sale and Loeb make the character stuff so interesting they could almost get away without any Spidey action. Overall, Spider-Man Blue really shows us the differences Peter sees in MJ and Gwen and why he might be drawn to one over the other. My favorite Loeb stories are when he's showing us a group of friends interacting. The superhero stuff isn't really the focus. I feel like certain artists bring out the best in Jeff Loeb, and Tim Sale is at the top of that list. Uh-oh. Finish Captain America White. <laughs> yeah. hear that a lot. Yeah. Like all the Loeb Sale color books, the action is handled nicely, but what makes them special is the way they show the human side. And finally, I also appreciate the modern-day framework, putting the story into context beyond pure nostalgia. Susan Cotton has a couple tweets, and uh, you know, really talking about what she's reading, Spider-Man Blue, and some other stuff. Um, and then she she tweets, "Tonight I finished Spider-Man Blue. Boy, was it sad. Good, but sad. Mary Jane seemed awfully forward, right? <laughs> and she was like that in the original stories yeah. too, which I love because if you go back and read like old Fantastic Four stories where Reed's just like yelling at Sue and being a jerk, like MJ is such like a breath of fresh air where she just comes in and is like just calls all the shots, totally in control, does whatever she wants. Like this wasn't an uh, this wasn't Lo being like, all right, I'm going to modernize this character and, you know, make her a fully realized female character. Like, she was like that in the 60s. It was awesome. Yeah. Mary Jane's a great character. Yeah. Kevin Sean Alvarez says, I read Spider-Man Blue. What a great story about Gwen and how people who aren't in our lives still help change us for the better. Very nice. All right. Ref Gamlin 
about 800 tweets coming up. Right. Uh, Robert says, Glad Spider-Man Blue is up for TwinURC. I bought Daredevil Yellow after reading a freebie on the digital app and wanted to read others. He says, chilling for an hour before heading out for games with the boys. Time to get stuck into Spider-Man Blue. So we're literally getting like the, the play-by-play. Play. Uh, Peter's swing by of the bridge where Gwen died to drop off a rose was so sweet and so fitting. A great start to the first issue. Yeah. There's a couple of Valentine's Day things in there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mm. uh, you can't beat a good Peter Norman face-off, especially a classic one. So glad I'm reading this so soon after my superior Easter. Uh, I did choose it for you know how it ties in with so many things right, right now, from the movie to Amazing Spider-Man to yep. you know all that good stuff. It's Valentine's Day, which is a few months ago. Yep, exactly. Uh, there's a classic feel to the sound effects in the first issue. Every walk, crash, and splack feels so old school and perfect. Richard Starkin's probably right there. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Blue really gives the Green Goblin Grinch-esque <laughs> look, which suits him so well. Yeah, I, I I did look at that. I was like, oh, man, he looks so Grinchy and, and very cool, very yeah. Dr. Seuss-like, and it's that's such a great page. Uh, the son becomes the father, eh, Harry? That probably explains your future Goblin antics, too. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Uh, Robert says, when you think how many of Peter's classmates will wind up dead or as superheroes or supervillains, you have to wonder about that school. It's kind of the Marvel Universe, though, right? Yeah. Like, just everyone. You know. Everyone. It's going to happen. A great line. Just because I had spider sense mm-hmm. didn't mean I had common sense. That is a great line. Yeah, the trials of a superhero with a crush. Very oblivious young man. Uh, Spider-Man's quipping against the rhino in issue two is grade A. The series is definitely looking like a bookshelf edition. Uh, given how scary the Rhino's power suit composition sounds when Connors describes it, credit goes to dissolving it so fast. Yeah, I I, I guess I never caught that before, where mm. it was like this uh, self-replicating adamantium. Uh, other, there's a bunch of components in it. And- Jeff Loeb really likes the Rhino. I know this to be true. He has spoken about it. So if anyone knows the minutia of how his suit works, it's going to be Jeff Loeb. That's awesome. Uh, he says, I often forget about Connor's lizard dilemma with Connor's helping Spider-Man. I'm glad the Ultimate Spider-Man episodes reflect this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a cool touch. Uh, I've never seen the rhino out of his suit. I genuinely thought it was irreversible. Go figure. It has been at times, which means, I mean, I guess it always <laughs> is ultimately reversible. But I think this was during a period where it wasn't quite there yet. Yeah, I, I was as I was reading this, I asked John Cerulli, I was like, how does he go to the bathroom? And it's like, really no. there's no seams and surreal. It's like, oh, I bet there's a flap and, you know, business oh, can happen God. and all this other stuff. You just don't God. see it. Uh, so John Surly, super villain, bathroom expert. Think on that. Uh, the cover of issue two is beautiful with Gwen's face dominating the image with simple yet bold colors. And then it ends with. Um, no, we're not going to say yeah, that word. That's, that's not. That's, that's inappropriate. Yeah, not nice. Uh, issue three family, is. Yeah. I don't know. Issue three of Spider-Man Blue has another great fight. This time with the lizard. As a collection, this is definitely a book for fans. Better believe it. Perception of people is certainly a theme I'm noticing throughout Spider-Man Blue. A great look at how people see each other. By issue four, I have a rough idea of who the mystery man is, but I'm keen to see if I'm right. With the girls vying for Peter's attention and poor Peter having to fight two vultures whilst sick, you really see that Parker luck. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Like the best part is like all this is going on, Gwen is like giving him googly eyes, Mary Jane's all like all over him. Yep. And Flash is like, Who is this guy? Yeah. What, what is, is happening? Flash gets so frustrated. It's terrific. It's the best. Um I, I and I really do like how Jeff and Tim take 
Flash's character arc that goes on through all this time period. Yeah. And really evolves. Yeah, Flash gets a good story in the, in the yeah. context of this. Even more so than Harry. Harry doesn't yeah. really get as much of an arc. He's no. just kind of there. Yeah. Uh, love the classic Spider-Man cover tribute in issue five uh, of, the, of the series. Yep. Uh, wow. So this is where Flash signs up, or at least it's retold here. Mm-hmm. Big moments for a future Avenger, not just Spidey. Exactly. He says, yep. Craven thought as much. It was the furry collars that made it kind of obvious, but still worth waiting for. Craven might be my favorite Spider-Man villain. Yeah, so I was very excited. Nice. Just, you know, I, I just love. I love the idea of Craven. How many different things he can do, like his approach to everything, and his design is awesome. Yeah. So I love Craven. He's pretty great. Well, Spider-Man Blue was a great read. Romantic, mm-hmm. heartwarming, and Spidey through and through. A great book for any fan. Well said, Robert. Moving on to the Tech Lord, only a few pages into this to me RC, and I'm so impressed with the use of color. Then shows the picture of the rose blown off the bridge. This comic is a great follow-up to last week's hashtag Drunk Pete from ASM 121 and 122. Read the next one. In case you ask, there you go. Drunk Pete is reading and live-tweeting a predetermined Spidey comic on Saturday night with your choice beverage. Well, we certainly don't officially endorse that. No. Um, I probably would too, but does Pete have to web swing everywhere? Must take forever to get into and out of costume. Probably takes less time than it does to drive across Manhattan. Yeah. So there it's you true. go. And, uh, have you been on the subways? Sometimes yeah. they get delayed. Yeah. This is, taking a costume on and off is definitely quicker than any other way to get around New York City. It's true. So there you go. The motorcycle dealer looks like Red Skull in disguise. What is this? LL Dusker Auto Works? I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's Sector, you're stumping me this week. Harry is a bow tie kind of guy, and Gwen is a fast kind of girl. I don't know. I, again, I'm, I'm done. Uh, so Pete knocks the goblin senseless. Norman wakes up confused, and Pete assumes that means the goblin forgot everything. Well, yeah, man. I mean, he. There's a line in there where he talks about how there's a history there. Yeah, but yeah. Norman's, you know, it's not that he just assumes he's. There is sort of circumstantial evidence that leads him to believe that right. at that point. And right. he says so. And also, he's a teenager. Yeah. Maybe he's a little naive. He's stupid. He wants to believe the he's best. He's dumb. All right. No. Uh, yeah. Well, hello, Mary Jane. Blue blazes, they really do make her a knockout no matter where they introduce her, don't they? That is what they do. You have to. Well portrayed. Pete says he's leaving MJ for work, and MJ walks off, leaving him feeling small and confused. I, I actually really like that uh, the scene where MJ helps him. Yeah, I like that MJ gets it. It kind of foreshadows that later she's she is a good match for Peter. Yeah, watching Flash drool over Spidey is funny, and we all know where Flash ends up. Did we get to see Flash find out it was Puny Parker? The only time Flash ever found out it was Peter Parker was during Civil War, and there was like a one-off issue of like Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man where he dealt with it. It was uh-huh. a good issue. Peter David wrote it, but that's but yeah, uh, he doesn't know it now. He doesn't know it now. Yeah, oh, although. If you read this issue, this week's issue of Spider-Man, Spider-Man, there's developments on that front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so from the Tech Lord, MJ is awfully Christian in this comic. She's always wearing a cross. She'll grow out of it, I hope, which uh, I don't really understand. Why hope? I mean, yeah. if she wants to be that, she don't. you don't have to put your views on anyone else. It's, yeah. That, that, and it's also fashion. If she wants to wear that, that's her thing. Yeah, dude. Like, I grow out of it, that whole thing, that... Tech Lord, you can do you can do better. Just be tolerant of other people. Doesn't mean you have to believe it. Yeah, you know, she can do what she wants. Also, she's a fictional character. Yes. Um, <laughs> on top of all that. Speaking of, my wife and I discussed how MJ finds Peter at the end, and we had a long, intelligent discussion. We concluded she'd never date him. Good. This is your wife, I would assume. He's he's Again. a fictional character. As well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Tech Lord, thank you for the tweets. 
try to get a grasp on reality. We'll get back to you. <laughs> uh, DJ Fenko says, going to read Spider-Man Blue and Marvel Unlimited until sleep arrives. Well, I, Is sleep I hope, like getting shipped to you? I hope you, uh, you both got some sleep and enjoyed the book. Yeah. X-Men First Classy says, I love Tim Sale's art. It's awesome. He's one of my favorite artists up there with Nick Bradshaw, Isad Rubik, and Mike Del Mundo. That's high. That's a great class to be in. Yeah. And finally, Dead Guy Comics says, amazing. Did this have a weird sense of time travel to anyone else? Almost like Peter had a feeling that Gwen would get the tapes. No, I think it was more catharsis. Yeah. He's just trying to he, get it out of his system. He probably does this regularly. Yeah. Uh, and Dead Guy Comics says, love the feel and the artwork of this storyline. Really like the ending with MJ and how it shows how much she gets Peter. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, that was a totally nice, nice resolution to the whole thing. Yeah. Good choice. Thanks. I really like Spider-Man Blue. I'm glad we got to reread it. I think Indeed. we should go back and do the other Loeb sale collaborations at some point. Sure. Um, for my next pick, just to wrap up what I did last time, uh, as we are leaving the 60s in the Marvel 75th anniversary celebration before we head in the 70s, we're going to do four more first appearances. We're going to do Iron Man, Thor, the Avengers, and the X-Men. So... Four more Silver Age books for you guys to enjoy. We'll post them up this week. Uh, something a little different, and we'll see what you guys think. I thought you were going to go with Marvel Boy, based on Marvel our conversation. Boy? Oh, is that where, you tra- that's where you're trying to steer me? I just thought, well... That makes sense. Maybe I'm going to choose Marvel you Boy. You should then. choose Marvel Boy. I, I did clearly a part one of a two-part thing, and I now have to deliver, because <laughs> it won't make sense to do that later in the year. But yeah, Marvel Boy would be a good one, two from now. But next time... Uh, Thor, Iron Man, Avengers, X-Men. We'll put those guys, those up. You guys can enjoy them. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, guys. We'll be back with another episode next week. This is Marvel, your universe.